Welcome to the Top Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Hansen, and today I'm very excited to introduce you to a longtime friend of mine, Dan Hannum. Dan and I go way back. We actually grew up in the same town and went to the same high school. And then Dan got kicked out of that high school. He spent a year in jail and developed, admittedly, a bit of a drinking problem. Now you may say to yourself, that's not a top mentor. But what if I told you that same guy turned it around, got into a great school, went on to have a great career on Wall Street, stumbled on this little thing called Bitcoin, got kinda rich, became a successful venture capitalist, and is now five years sober. If you're not intrigued yet, you might as well go ahead and turn off the podcast because I don't know what's gonna get your attention. If you are, stick around, listen up, and enjoy the conversation. All right, well, we are rolling. Dan Hannum, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm so pumped to talk to you today. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to start with a question that's also potentially the title of the podcast. And that question is, what the f- is a mentor? <laughs> that's a good question, man. I, I think it's, it's one of those words that has different meanings depending on, you know, someone's outlook or, or someone's experience with a mentor. So, you know, I think for some people, it's just having an older sibling, for example, that, you know, kind of guides them or leads them or shows them the way, or it could be more of like a professional mentor. That's, you know, someone that you respect in your field that, you know, has been where you want to be or has done what you want to do and, you know, is willing to, you know, guide you along the way. So I don't know, man, I think that's, you know, there's one, that's one of those words that has a different, a ton of different connotations or meanings, but I guess that's kind of what comes up for me. Yeah, that's great. And and that's um, really why we're starting with that question is because as, prevalent and powerful as mentorship is in in most people's lives there's not a very clear understanding i think for most and and one thing that was startling to me is seeing the the search volume of the definition of mentor and every month there's over 20,000 people that go to google and search the definition of a mentor so while everyone is like you know i have a mentor and 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 do i need a mentor they're asking these questions to actually narrow in on that definition so google does define it as an experienced and trusted advisor. But I think that there's all different ways that that really takes form getting to a good definition. We have a definition to start, but as we look to kind of recreate or or reinvent or innovate on mentorship, we want to spend a lot of time just digging into that fundamental question of what is a mentor. So where we're at now is like, we've simplified it into like a Venn diagram as any, you know, consultant would do. And on one side we have a coach and on the other side, we have an advisor or a consultant. So an advisor or a consultant is really there to provide expert advice based on some type of domain expertise. And then a coach is there to really help develop the leader. And so they're more focused on the personal side and the the leadership development, like helping you work through imposter syndrome and helping you, you know, clarify what's actually going on in your mind. And then a mentor is someone who can bring both of those things together so they can take their own experience and say, Hey, I built a startup and I, I, I learned this strategy. And they can also merge that with the maybe emotional intelligence of working with a leader to say, not only is this the best strategy, but how does that strategy overlap with where your psychology is? And if you need to go out there and become a video personality, is that right for you? Or if you need to go out there and raise a bunch of venture capital, are you in the right headspace to actually go out there and do that? So that's what we're really trying to, to bring together. And we call it transformational learning experiences of, of not just the learning, but also the transformation that can happen when you have a kind of a, a sparring partner in your whole entire development journey. Yeah, 
I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, obviously some of that we both have a lot of experience with is like, you know, sports, but specifically football. And, you know, you kind of have like the head coach, it's like more of like, you know, push the team along, but then you have your positional coaches that are more like fundamental or foundational of like, you know, here's how to tackle or here's how to throw or here's how to catch. And then you have, you know, that like strength training or or weight coach that's more like motivational, like that hype man. It's interesting to see how many parallels you have between the sports world. Yeah, absolutely. And, And me, you know, my mentor past story really revolves around the relationships that I had with my football coaches. Coach Guff, Coach Rally, Coach Newman, Coach Thompson, all of those guys were really pivotal in my personal development. And even before that, going back to youth league, when Coach Conroy and Coach Orford and all those guys were there in my corner, pushing me to become better, a lot of it became very impactful because I was having some family challenges. So when I was missing that mentor figure at home, I had those external mentors that helped me really transform my life and go from the high school dropout at Oakton to the honors graduate at Virginia Tech. And so I recognize that, you know, mentorship is this powerful service that if you have it, it can save your life. If you don't have it, you can end up down the wrong path and just recognizing that a lot of people don't have access to it. And it's a shame. So, you know, that's the mission. That's what we're trying to do is just get people more access to to quality mentorship. Yeah, man. I mean, obviously we've talked about it a ton of times. We got a lot of similarities on that upper bringing experience of having those people that were helping us you know, along the way, whether it's just a course correction or a full overhaul. I think the fun part is now through Mentor Pass and other programs, we get to be on the other end of the equation and start giving back to other people, whether they're youth or, or people our age or, or older that are looking for the same guidance or structure or someone that's been there and done that and can help them along the way. Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things um, about reconnecting with you over the past year or so has been hearing your journey and how much you're doing now to give back. And I know that there's an organization that you work with very closely. So I I was wondering if you'd be open to sharing a little bit about that organization and how you got connected with it and the mission that you guys have over there. Sure. Yeah. So there's two main ones that I have participated with uh, pretty extensively here in LA. One's called ARC or the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. And essentially, recidivism is a percentage of people uh, that end up going to jail or prison and the percentage of how many of them end up returning. And I've had a few different run-ins, luckily, in my juvenile career, which is important to, to see structure, foundation, guidance, you know, going back to the mentorship, having that structure to help someone get through that. So that's always been big for me. You know, I've been on the wrong end of a lot of bad decisions and have been able to square my life and get onto a good path. So it's it's fun to be able to, you know, work with troubled or the right structure, the right guidance, maybe made the wrong decision and trying to get the right uh, back on track. So that one's uh, really important to me. And then the other one is experience camps. My father passed away when I was seven. So that kind of led into that mentorship or lack of guidance, lack of structure. The experience camp is uh, a one week camp every year for kids that have either lost a parent, a sibling or guardian. And they get to interact with, you know, tens of thousands of kids, not obviously at camp, but within the organization that are experiencing something similar. And Obviously, living where we were from, there wasn't that many people around me that had lost their, their father or their mother or even their brother or sister. So, yeah, that one's a pretty big one. I think that's the fun part is finding those, you know, common threads between your life and someone else's that you've been there, you've, you've done that, and now you can give back. Especially with kids, I think that's, I guess, another common theme is experience camps and ARC are both more on the juvenile side. And that's really where a lot of my mistakes were made and really where I like to be able to kind of step in and provide guidance and, you know, hope to help people either go down a different path or think about things differently. So yeah, those are two big organizations in my life. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And and thanks for explaining a little bit more about those programs. And 
it's super interesting because there are a few people out there that have really taken on a similar mission. The other ones that come to mind are Dan Martell and Dan Martell was the founder of Clarity, which is a very similar platform to Mentor Pass. When he was young, was mixed up in a lot of trouble and has a story that he tells through a lot of keynotes where he was racing down the highway. I think he had been drinking and, and was on drugs and got chased by the cops, pulled into a garage, crashed into it, had a gun in the passenger seat, tried to pull the gun and the cops pulled him out of the car. And he was just on a, you know, straight line towards a, a disastrous life. And when he was in jail, an officer actually created a relationship with him and gave him a book on computer science. And he learned while he was in jail, started reading this textbook. I think it was maybe Java programming or something. And um, he learned how to write computer code. And from there, he became you know a very successful entrepreneur you know, and, and a great coach. I think what shaped his mission and a lot of what he was doing at Clarity was to help people when they were at that space of need. And, and it's so similar to my story, not quite as extreme with a, a gun in the passenger seat, but just once again, just living a life that was not totally productive, having some maybe not so good influences and realizing that those positive influences can change a life. And then there was Richard Brooks, who was shot and killed in, in Atlanta because he was drinking and driving and got into an altercation with police. And he said, in an interview, I, I didn't need a probation officer. I needed a mentor. And if he would have gotten a mentor, maybe he wouldn't have been shot and killed. And so it's, it's really great to see a community of leaders that are coming together to connect those people that are in need with those that can actually help them. And it's definitely a big part of our mission. I know you and I have talked about our scholarship program where we can reach out to some of those folks that are either going through a hard time or they're coming from a disadvantaged place and helping them get access to the right mentors that can help them really live a prosperous life. Yeah, man. You know, I've had my own run-ins with, with law enforcement a few different times. And obviously that greatly affected the trajectory that my life was going on. And when I was looking for guidance, it was easier to listen to the people that had been in my shoes before. And I think that translates into business as well. Like you said, if you're raising venture capital, it's very you know beneficial to be around people that have gone through that, whether they're allocating capital or have been on the receiving end. So having that life experience really allows that connection. You know, I've been in handcuffs. I've spent a year or so of my life in a tiny little cell, threw away my sports career and academic career and all that good stuff. You know, so I think the the story clicks a little bit quicker because it's not just some, for lack of a better word, some other random guy that's just like, look and do this and don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm curious, do you feel like some of those adverse experiences that you had actually create some type of competitive edge for you versus others that you've maybe created some more resilience or some tolerance for pain or risk or anything like that? Are there any things that you've actually embraced that you think are an advantage because of the challenging times that you've gone through? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a few, whether it's legal trouble or sobriety, which most of the time end up conflicting when you have issues with one, it's pretty easy to get into issues with the other one. So there's definitely a lot of stuff that I think has hardened me along the way. We talk about software programming all the time. I, I like to think of myself as versions, you know, there's version 1.0, that was middle school, elementary school. Then you upgraded, you know, in, in a very privileged uh, position where I am right now, financially and professionally. But there's a lot of times where I didn't have any of that luxury or any of that possibility. Got expelled from school, ended up spending a lot of time in jail. I was one of the first kids in my program to ever get back into our, our local school system, which led to graduating from 
one of our rival high schools and then led into actually being able to go to college and then like yourself, actually being able to graduate with honors from a respectable university. So there's definitely life lessons that I've learned along the way. And there's the ability to react and adapt to what's been thrown at you. And I think a lot of people are, are realizing that this year with COVID, you know, you, you plan and then you adapt. And I think that's one thing that I've been able to do, whether it's just being at peace with myself and my thoughts. And I think the sobriety and troublemaking thing, I think both of those have led me to have that ability where I can sit alone in, in a room and be at peace with myself and be at peace with, you know, the decisions I've made. That's not saying that I won't go back and change a few things, but those life lessons and those bumps and bruises along the way have led me to the man I am today. A lot of our friends had a lot of those doors open where I didn't, and I kind of had to open some of my own doors and some of them weren't in legal ways, but that, that kind of segues, I guess, into a recent podcast I did with Mark Weinstein, if you're familiar with him leading into business success. I think a lot of that came from that troublemaking, whether it was being a uh, selling leader when I was in DECA at, at Oakton, it was like, you understood how to run a company, supply chain management, marketing, sales, biz dev efforts. So I was able to transition that entrepreneurial or tenacity or hard work and grit into uh, you know, productive assets that are legal. It's a very quick trajectory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. What's interesting is actually Ben Horowitz and his obsession with hip hop music. And I was actually on a clubhouse conversation maybe two weeks ago and they had MC Hammer on there and a bunch of other hip hop artists. And they're having this conversation about how hip hop relates to entrepreneurship. And a lot of the things that Jay-Z was rapping about in his neighborhood and, you know, Notorious B.I.G. was rapping about in the commandments and everything like that. Um, those are a lot of the fundamentals that it's like, that's an MBA. <laughs> you may not yeah. be learning how to create a PowerPoint presentation, but how to actually structure a business, how to get leverage in a business, those fundamentals that you may have learned from uh, a, a different type of venture definitely transfer over. One of the other things that's really interesting is the, the tolerance for risk and, and fear. I think when you've really hit rock bottom, whether it be financially or emotionally um, or mentally, whatever that may be, and then you come up against this really big decision that's a, a business decision, you know, it, it's a, a different beast, but in some way it can't compare to being dead broke or being in jail or being at your emotional worst. Like, I'm not afraid to go broke because, you know, I've been through a lot. And if you are worried about, I can't make this big risk because what happens if the business doesn't turn out, I, I know that I can outlast that stuff. So that gives you an extra edge um, against competition that may just be always in a place of comfort and they can't deal with that discomfort. Something that maybe not understood, something that I try to hold on to as my one competitive advantage is I have a very high tolerance for risk and fear because I've been through some really challenging times and I've already made it in my book, yeah. like, you know, coming from where we came from and, and getting to this place now, it does feel like it is a turnaround story. It is a success. And then it, it almost feels like some people are like, why are you taking such big risk? You've already turned it around. And it's like, because once you understand that kind of growth mindset of if I can go from being in jail or I can go from being in trouble or, or, or dropping out of school or doing any of those things and then get to this point, you start to recognize like that's a process. And yeah. that process happens by understanding where you want to go and just starting to break down the barriers to get there as opposed to thinking that everything is always level. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I think having the competition between others and then between yourself. And I think that you kind of start thinking of you versus someone or you versus this and like, how do I stack up and how do you rank? But I think that real maturation process comes to you versus you. And it's like, who am I today? Who am I tomorrow? Who do I want to be? 
and how do you evolve yourself and how do you keep le learning and growing? So I think there's a lot of different ways to get to the end destination. If you don't have that rocky path, sometimes you can get to stage one of that destination quicker. But we've seen that a lot of times where there's a lot of milestones in life that some people may get to quicker than you. But then that next milestone you got to quicker, not necessarily that you're on the, the right or wrong path. You just went down a different course. A lot of my trouble came from you know, trying to make money in, in some way. It wasn't ever like, I want to hurt people or rob people or like steal or like anything like that. It was like, all right, you know, I, I have a way to make money. Like first time I got in trouble was like selling candy out of my backpack in middle school because one of my friends, parents got mad that they spent like 60 bucks on overpriced Tootsie Rolls, but it was just hustling. And then same thing in, in high school. So it's like that mentality where you can drop me anywhere on the earth and I'm gonna be all right. That risk tolerance depends on your, your view. I think a lot of people view a nine to five employee type role as being secure. And I've always thought of it as the opposite. Like I never want to have someone where I could walk in and get fired the next day. I think it's riskier to bet on someone else's dreams than it is to bet on your own. And I've always tried to chase my dreams and they've led me down a pretty interesting path. But I think resiliency and grit and being able to pick yourself up allows you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the the story. I didn't know that your first run-in was for selling candy, but obviously you had figured out some healthy margins and a great marketing plan. So that's so awesome. Costco, Costco to wholesale on some rich white kids in the suburbs, you could get Airhead for like three cents a pop and sell them for $3 a pop. It was a great business. A lot of our friends had a lot of money to spend, which led into the next venture, which was a little bit more on the, uh, the illegal scale, but same general concept. So let's continue on in the transformation. And I want to ask you about one um, subject in particular. You talked about milestones and you also mentioned sobriety. I mean, this is really incredible what you've been able to do in terms of getting your focus right and staying away from, you know, alcohol. Could you go into that experience a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up on five, just hit four and a half a couple of weeks ago. So it's been kind of an incredible journey as we've talked about or hinted at a few different times, had a bunch of run-ins as a youth started really early, similar to you had a, had an older sibling that had older friends that got into those habits early when you're in sixth or seventh, eighth grade and someone hands you a beer or a join or whatever, you know, it, it was easy to get into those habits. So I don't know, it was, it was something that happened quickly. And then that entrepreneurial situation kind of kicked in where I realized uh, I had friends who wanted this, I knew how to get it and I could make a quick margin. So that's how that kind of happened. A lot of the stuff in my life kind of turned back into some type of alcohol or drug, maybe not addiction, but issue or problem, whether that was hinting at Oakton. Sophomore year, I got kicked off football, basketball, and lacrosse in the same year, and then kicked out of the school at the end of the year. So hit the hit four for four in that year. A lot of those led back to skipping practice or not showing up or going to practice under the, the influence of substances or things like that. So it, it just always kind of circled back into some type of drug or alcohol problem or issue. I guess at one point I was what, 24 at the time, I was working a very good job in finance from the outside looking in was living a, a very, you know, comfortable life was making six figures, had a lot of material possessions and all that good stuff. But it was just like miserable inside was working 20 hour days when I wasn't working, I was drinking when I wasn't drinking, I was hungover. When I wasn't hungover, I was thinking about the next drink. It was just on that hamster wheel of life. And one day I just looked up and realized that what I currently was doing, I would have to wait 40 or 50 years to become a partner at this big financial institution, you know, great career, but just wasn't the path for me. My father passed away early due to some alcohol and drug uh, issues. His father, his father, his father, seeing my mom trying to raise me and my sister as a single parent, it was really tough. So it was just a lot of different like issues, whether it was actual getting in trouble legally or ruining sports career. I knew that I was able and 
willing to outwork people, out hustle, out grind, do what I needed to do to, to do. But the only thing that was holding me back was me. So that was like the, the biggest realization. I was searching for fulfillment and was trying to find that in work. And that didn't really happen. And that kind of just opened this Pandora's box of self-exploration. That I think, you know, you've gone from a traditional white collar, nice job, comfy salary, good perks, all that good stuff. And just not feeling fulfilled at the end of the day. So it was super unfulfilled at work was drinking way too much, which kind of blends into each other when you're working in traditional finance. And that was just kind of washing, like, what could my life be if I got out of the way? So took one day and, and literally just woke up on uh, March 20th of 2016 and was like, that's it. And I'm not drinking again. And it's been four and a half years since then. Obviously, a lot of things in my life have really changed in, in a lot of different ways since then. Going back to experience camps and ARC and stuff like that, those are the common themes in my life of my, my father passing away early, having drug and alcohol abuse, getting in trouble, but then also having that second chapter of my life of getting my shit together, starting my company, starting another company, selling a company, having financial success, but actually now having real meaning behind it. And, and I think that's been the best part for me is being able to remove that alcohol and open up my mind into the possibilities that allowed me to explore different things, whether it's meditation, yoga, which, you know, led me to different people, different types of varieties. But yeah, man, it's, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. I'm like, I, I just turned 29 a couple of weeks ago. And then like a couple of days later, it was the, uh, the anniversary. And that was a, a giant milestone compared to like the birthday. And it's one of the best presents I've ever given myself, my family, my friends, the, the people that have stuck with me through thick and thin can now experience some of the fun side of it. So it's been a journey, but definitely been a good decision. Yeah, man. Thank you for sharing. I guess first I'm, I'm really inspired by it from everything that you've always shared because it's an incredible journey that you've gone through in, in four and a half years is a hell of a milestone. I'm, I'm curious, you talked about the day that you woke up and, and you said, this is enough. What was that kind of internal transformation process like? And do you think it would have been possible without that internal transformation? Like only by using external tools, which I'm sure were helpful. And there's AA, AA and all of these other different organizations, but was there some type of internal shift where you said you had had enough? And could you kind of explain that, that process a little bit? Yeah, you know, I kind of hinted at it. It was really just what success was to me early on or was taught or, or I guess learned was you go to high school. If you're athletic, you play some sports, you go to college, you graduate, and then you get like a good paying job. And that's, you know, largely what success meant. And, and that's, you know, largely what I thought after getting in trouble and stuff. It was like, all right, how do I kind of re rebalance my life? How do I get on the good path? And I was like, go to school, even though I didn't really want to go and get into student loans and stuff. That was like the path, you know, doors weren't open if you didn't have a college degree. So went down that road. And then it was get a good job and working in traditional finance, worked for some of the biggest banks on, on earth, was able to scale the ranks pretty quickly. So on paper, it was all, you know, starting to come together. I was like, all right, I have a degree and I have a good job and I have some of these, I guess, monetary goods, like a nice car or a nice whatever. But that was that nagging question. It's like, why aren't I happy? What's that missing piece of like, I got money. I have this, I have that. I didn't have goals. I didn't have anything that was really pushing forward towards. And that was half of it on the career side. And then crypto really happened. And crypto and sobriety really happened all at the same time where I was really chasing what my passion was. My goal was to try to follow, you know, what am I spending my nights and weekends and time on that I'm not getting paid to do? And how do I make that my career? How do I make sure when I wake up in the morning, I'm actually providing some good. There's a framework called Ikigai, which is a really useful overlapping for very important things and trying to find that sweet spot of what you can contribute and what you get passion from and what the world needs and all that good stuff. So crypto happened and then that opened up doors. So that was on the professional side. On the personal side, as we talked about, got kicked off a bunch of sports teams, 
got kicked out of school, a lot of not fun stuff that happened from using alcohol and drugs. I guess this probably will sound a little bit cocky, but I always felt like I was a little bit more ahead in some aspects in some of my peers, whether that was athletically or intellectually. And I feel like I never really applied myself, whether that was on the field, like working out, eating right, doing what you're supposed to do. I was just like, all right, I'm going to smoke a blunt and go to practice and throw football with my friends. But if some of our friends were very dedicated. That was their craft. That was their mission. That wasn't me. Same thing with school. I, I'd like to think I'm pretty intelligent, but I just didn't really care. I wasn't very stimulated by the activity. Um, and like, you know, just didn't study, but I could show up and like, you know, sleep in class and get a B or miss a quiz and still make it up on the final. So just always having that lingering question of what could I become if I actually gave a hundred percent of myself? I just felt like I was always holding myself back in every single capacity, whether it's relationships, a sexual relationship, or just with friends, it was just felt like I was holding myself back. So sobriety happened that opened up my eyes to what life is, what it could be. What do I want? What is success to me? What is meaningful relationships mean to me? How do I build a life that when I rest my head on my pillow at the end of the night, I'm, I'm very fulfilled and content and happy. And the people I care about are, are taken care of. It's the, the questions like the health issues with my father, there hasn't been a hand in my family that made it to 50. So my grandma, my mom, single parents trying to raise kids. And I just didn't want my wife and kids to have to go through that. I'm not married, no kids at the moment, but that's definitely in the plans. I want to be there for them, not only financially, but emotionally and physically. I want to make sure that like, I can take my kid to a sporting event or the robotics class, whatever he or she wants to wants to do. But I want to make sure that I'm there for them and in their lives. And then I kind of just tallied up, like, what are the benefits of drinking? What are the disadvantages? When you look at the list, it's very apparent. And it's interesting because alcohol is really the only drug that you get questioned on if you don't do it. No one's ever like, oh, you're not taking heroin. You know, that's just like common sense. But if you're like, oh, I'm not drinking, they're like, holy shit, something's wrong with you. So anyways, a lot of uh, different things kind of converged all at once. And I was luckily at the right place at the right time where I was spiritually able to accept these new possibilities and had a clear head and a clear conscience and was able to go chase my dreams and sold everything I had and moved out West and tried to go chase that. And obviously it's worked out, but I think all of that has stemmed from that decision of, of, of choosing not to drink and not inhibit myself anymore. And I knew I could get wherever I wanted to go if I just got myself out of the way. Dude, that's so, so amazing. And it, it resonates so much with me, especially what you talked about in terms of what could I be if I really applied myself? That was something that really struck a chord with me. And I've gone through patches of drinking and not drinking and have totally scaled back. Like now I, I don't think I have a drinking problem where before I was certain that I did. And I went through a stretch where I didn't drink for uh, seven months. Since then, I've been able to find really, really good moderation where I have maybe two, three drinks and I don't crave more. But when I first took that stint of, of six months, which was after a couple of dry Januaries and stuff like that, what it came down to was just recognizing how much time and energy was spent feeling like shit. And it, it really upsets me that most people at their peak years spend so much time not performing well. You spend every Saturday morning and Sunday morning, not yourself, where you can't perform, you can't think right, you're, you're anxious or depressed. And if you took all of that energy and put it into something productive, whether it be starting a business, whether it be getting super healthy, whether it be spending more time with family, like that's two out of the, the seven days per week so you're spending, I'm not that great at math, but a significant percentage of your time being at a suboptimal level. I think both of us learned in, in sports like football, like it's a game of inches 
And if you're repetitively taking inches off by saying every Saturday, I'm not going to work every Sunday. I'm not going to work every Friday morning. I'm going to feel like crap every Monday morning at work. I'm going to feel like crap because I've got the Sunday scaries that roll over into that. You are performing so far below your potential. And this isn't a, a put down of anyone that does drink. And I drink now I have a couple of drinks every once in a while, but it's really unfortunate that that is kind of the normal in big cities across America. My dad has severe alcoholism and he's been sober for, for many, many years now. But one of the things that he talked about, and it's similar to what you said in terms of the social stigma around it, alcoholism is the hardest addiction because it's legal to advertise. There's no one selling crack on TV. There's no one selling heroin on TV. You go to a sporting event sponsored by Bud Light and it's thrown in your face over and over and over again. And so it's this system that keeps you trapped in it, but it's, it's really incredible. It feels like more and more people are starting to have this conversation around sobriety. There's some amazing people in technology like Steve Schlafman and Justin Kahn and Ryan from Flexport. They had a, a great conversation with Harry Stebbings from 20 minute VC. And they all talked about sobriety. And I think it was Justin Kahn that said, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, where everyone's obsessed with growth hacking, the number one growth hack you could do is just give up alcohol and get your Saturday mornings back, get your Sunday mornings back, get your Monday mornings back. So it's cool to see that conversation coming up and hopefully more and more people can take that path. And also some really great businesses that are opening up in this space to, to help support people with that journey, especially coming out of this pandemic where alcohol consumption was through the roof. And people are going to need some way to get back on the right track or get on the right track for the first time. So I guess if you're listening to this, <laughs> this is a pretty intense conversation and something that I think both of us are passionate about. But I think Dan or I have both Dan very seriously and me, I've kind of tinkered with this path of sobriety. And if, if it's something that this maybe is giving you a little bit of resistance or bringing something up, feel free to reach out to either of us or both of us. Both of us would be happy to have a conversation about what that opportunity may look like for you. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Even talking about like the, the stigma, I think that's a big thing is a lot of people have this perception that in order to stop drinking, you have to be an addict or an alcoholic, or you have to get a DUI, you have to get fired. Like none of that has to happen. I think there's a lot of stigma around not drinking. And I think it's becoming more common to not drink, whether it's, you know, like you said, for a month, like October challenger or some of those things. But as you mentioned, you, I think people who are looking to better themselves are realizing that's the easiest way to start. And that one decision allows you to do so many other things just thinking clearly, being present. And, you know, like I always say, because there's a lot of people in my life that still drink. I don't think it makes me better or anything like that. And I think to each their own, but there's a lot of people out there that have had these questions. They've had these thoughts. They've had those weekends where they're questioning, why did I do this? Why did I do that? There's a lot of people that have had those, those thoughts of, should I stop drinking? Should I not stop drinking? And, you know, as you talked about, whether you go to a sporting and go golfing, go anywhere, you can pretty much drink almost anywhere. So it's, it's a very a big social thing, but that's going back to that level up equation, I think that's what really happened. It's like when I stopped drinking, the people that was what like their priorities were, and that was what was important to them. Those people, you know, started getting removed from my life because that was no longer important to me. And the people that were replaced were people that were taking, I don't know if taking life seriously, but had a different set of priorities. And I always like to make that distinction because I don't think there's a right or wrong teach their own, but for people that are looking at that extra step in evaluating and, and leveling up themselves, I think, come into your life when you make those decisions. So I have a lot of people that I've met through AA. I have a lot of people that I've met that just don't drink in tech, in business, in finance. A lot of those people have 
similar stories like Bradley Cooper from, from Hangover, same thing. He uh, was a raging alcoholic, got an opportunity for one gig. They said, if you show up sober, you got the job, showed up sober. And now, you know, it's a crazy movie star, 10, 15 years sober. If there's anything that I can ever do to help be a lending year, whether you're ready to quit, quit drinking completely, stop drinking, cut back, whatever. I think there's, there's a lot of valuable things that you get from removing alcohol from your life. And if I can be uh, of assistance in that journey, I'm happy to be. Yeah. Thank you, man. At one point I knew I wanted to start this mentorship platform and there were like 12 different niches that I was looking at. And one of them actually was like a sobriety mentorship platform. I know that through AA and other programs, there are ways to connect, but I think it's a big need out there right now. But a couple of things that you said that really struck a chord with me. One was the, the prioritization. And conscious prioritization is something that I think most people don't do. They just continue to go along, long, long, and they don't actually stop to say, what are my priorities? And that's an immediate growth hack that you can do is just sit down and write those things. What's most important to you? Is family most important to you? Is social life most important to you? Is financial success? You know, what are those things? And then recognizing what's helping in one area and what's hurting in another, because if you're not consciously doing it, it's happening and you're just not aware of it. So just taking a moment to write those things down. And at some point, those things will change. I just got to Mexico city yesterday and it was a conversation with my roommate. Who's a, an incredible coach. And I just said to him, I'm recognizing that my priorities are shifting. And when living in Puerto Escondido, my primary priority was finding a sustainable lifestyle that I could build while also keeping myself super healthy. And then we just launched the platform. I'm like, my priorities are changing right now. And I'm prioritizing professional grind right now. And I don't want to be in the grind 80 hours a week forever, but I do recognize that there are certain periods where you need to turn up the volume and different environments impact that. But just understanding what your priorities are and really making a conscious decision to build your lifestyle around that instead of just not thinking about it. I will move on to the next thing. This is kind of a business podcast and we haven't talked much about business, but I think it's probably more value for the listeners to hear about the, the personal story and transformation and, and success that you've had. But I just want to continue the professional journey. So you're at a, a big investment bank. You decide to leave that and you obviously alluded Bitcoin was coming up and you were dabbling there. So can you just talk a little bit about the journey since, since leaving investment banking? Absolutely, man. I mean, it's just funny how s strings of your life kind of string together. I got started in Bitcoin largely in college because I was looking for a way to get better, cheaper, illegal activities. So there was this platform called Silk Road, which was really big on dark markets. And I was in college, uh, a user of the platform, bought a bunch of Bitcoin back in 2013, didn't know what to do with it, had no idea it'd be anything of what I'm doing with it now. And then Silk Road got shut down like two or three months later, like went to go on the site, FBI warning comes up. I'm like, oh shit, I don't know what to do. I didn't want to put like my Bitcoin back into cash. It was a crazy day when that day happened. And it actually became more of like a, a profession or a real interest probably in 2014, 2015, 2016, I was getting pretty big into investing my own personal cash. Like I wasn't managing outside money at all, just was putting a couple of dollars in a couple of things and realized I was pretty good at doing that. That's kind of how that part started. And then crypto just really came back in about 2015, 2016. So that led me back into a different world of people that were talking about decentralization, talking about finance, talking about structures that could be improved, talking about web 3.0, talking about all these really fascinating things that I had honestly like no idea about, but saw the vision behind. So I didn't immediately jump into crypto at the time, was still in traditional finance, 
really was kind of playing both roles of making sure I had some income coming in, but also trying to figure out like, can I go pursue this? How do I get into this industry? I'm not a computer science person. I'm not someone that's going to be coding anything up. So that kind of eliminates the dev side. So is it more marketing related? Is it biz dev? Is it from a founder angle, from an employee? So that's kind of what happened for probably six or nine months. When I stopped drinking, my Friday nights and Saturday nights and all that stuff started coming back. For me personally, the first six months, I didn't go out at all. I was, I'm a pretty big hermit crab at the moment. I like to do my stuff and then I'm pretty routine based, but at the time I didn't go out at all because that first six months, I was just like, I don't know if I go to the bar, like, will I have a drink? Will I be tempted? So I was like, I'm just going to stay in and read. So every Friday night I would just like pop out. I would literally go print out articles or open up books or go on forums. There's these Bitcoin talk forums at the time where just people were coming together and sharing intellectual capital and just thinking of ideas and people starting putting money in things. And right around 2015, 2016, that's where money was actually starting to be made. You could make a, a lot of money in crypto in 2016. And then that's kind of even before the major hype wave of 2017. So Anyways, it started off because I was interested in more of the drug use case. Then it, right when I stopped using, it was like, had all this free time, really trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. Like I mentioned before, for me, it was like, what do I do when I'm not getting paid to do? Like when, when it's my free time, am I watching TV? Am I drawing? Long story short, got involved with a few different people that were raising capital from an investment fund perspective. So not within a company, raising capital from individuals and and firms to then allocate that capital into companies. So that's kind of how I got started in crypto. I uh, was an analyst for a few different funds and ended up making a, a good amount of money being early in a few different projects. I think I saw a stat last Tuesday when the debates came out that the price of Bitcoin at the 2016 presidential debate was $300. And now we're comfortably sitting over 10,000. So there's been a big tidal wave and more capital and more people have gotten into the industry, but that's how I kind of got started. And then was at the right place at the right time advising this project that had some really powerful people that got involved. We had Larry King and Stan Barty and Jim Rogers, who I guess are all three kind of separately high profile figures, got them into this ICO project. They made a ton of money in a week, like tens of millions of dollars in like days, which was just mind blowing. This was right during like the ICO craze where things were going insane. Anyways, they are basically in the position where they had all these people managing their wealth, managing the real estate assets and managing their family offices. And they've invested in venture capital firms and yada, yada, yada. Like every check mark that you have was checked off except for crypto. So the old people with money looking to put it in, don't know what to do, kind of saw that opportunity to leave what I was doing and start my own fund. So convinced Larry and Stan to put in a couple million dollars each and started the first fund with 25 million. And that was kind of like, uh, a giant uh, leap forward in that professional career to actually go out, convince other people that I know what I'm doing and, and where to put their money and the things I'm putting their money in are you know, going to be strategically evaluated. So that's kind of how that s s side started. And then Hanum Capital started scaling. We started bringing on employees. We got to about 12 people at our height, down about eight people right now. So yeah, it's been a fun journey. That's led into, we've invested in about 28 different companies within crypto. Our average check size ranges anywhere between 250K to about, I think the highest check we've written is 2.2, but our sweet spots anywhere between 500K to 1.5, traditionally in seed and series A rounds and largely within crypto. So we only invest in companies that have a crypto element or component. That's kind of where I'm at right now. It's so good to hear your story again. I know we chatted about it a little bit before, but I, I appreciate you adding some of that detail. How old were you when you first raised the $25 million fund? This was like three and a half, four years ago. So I was like 24, 25. That's um, pretty, so pretty incredible man. to be raising that kind of money and managing that kind of money at that age is pretty remarkable. So yeah, once again, hats off to you. It's inspiring to see 
where you've come from, some of the challenges that you had, and then through making some fundamental decisions in your life, you're now at this point where you're 24, 25 years old, managing $25 million from Larry King. And that I think just shows the power of getting clear on your priorities and really going all in on this new path that you're taking, which is, is really great. For sure, man. And it's fun to have, whether it's you or other people from childhood growing up, to be able to see both sides. Shameless shill. I was actually in the Wall Street Journal a week ago, which was fascinating for me to be able to like go to a grocery store and pick up a paper and see my name in it. But I had a bunch of people from back in the Oakton days, back in like middle school days, that were like, dude, last time I saw you, you were like literally in handcuffs getting thrown in a cop car. And now you're in the Wall Street Journal or a couple years ago uh, was highlighted in a Forbes piece. And the Forbes did like a 30 under 30 thing on crypto. And so it's cool to have that kind of like phases of my life too, where a lot of people nowadays that I went to school with or grew up with were able to interact and, and, you know, kind of catch up. And it, it's cool to see, see that reaction sometime of the last time they see me versus, you know, what I'm doing now, not only just like from a financial perspective, but who I am as a person, like financial stuff's fun, you know, that, that stuff happens, but none of that stuff would have happened without me getting myself right first. And that allowed all these opportunities that are coming. And like I say all the time, it's, it's one decision, one bad decision of me where that could all go away. So it's not something that's safe and secure. That was my priority over the last, you know, three and a half, four years is really owning that crypto space. Like anytime anyone thinks about crypto, you know, I typically come up, you know, in our friend groups or whatever, but then using that to have the investment fund. And then now managing one of our companies that we invested in actually jumped on as a COO of a year ago. So now being back on the entrepreneur side of the table while managing capital, it's a really fun thing. As long as I keep myself right, you know, keep alcohol and all that stuff away from me, keep, you know, doing my stuff, making sure that my list of priorities gets met and that good stuff. I don't think there's a plateau in, in sight anytime. Hopefully when we have a, another episode a couple of years from now, when, when mentor pass is ginormous, we'll do a recap episode of the last couple of years. And I never want to look back and be like, wow, that was fun, but that was a hype. Like we talked about that continuous improvement of I want to go to bed today, wealthier, smarter, happier, you know, a better person uh, than I was yesterday. If I can do that every single day, that compounds like, you know, compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world, but that, that happens with yourself. And if you view yourself as this living software organism that you can enhance and upgrade yourself. And if you just keep doing that every day, whether it's an alcohol anniversary or whatever, like you look up and four or five years or one, two years go by and you're in a completely different state than than you are today. So yeah, it's been a fun journey going from some of the not so pleasant aspects. But as we talked about a lot of those things, those things made me who I am today. They gave me perspective, they gave me insight, they gave me experience being in you know jail or being locked up, like I was the only white kid in there. So having the ability to interact with different cultures, which I think, you know, we've talked about uh, with you and your travels lately, being able to interact with people that aren't the same, they don't look just like you, or they're not from the same neighborhood. That opens up so many doors in your career as well, of just being able to interact and relate and have that EQ in addition to the IQ. So I don't know, man, it's been a fun journey. And like I said, as long as I you know, continue to try to keep my priorities straight, keep myself sober and, uh, and keep pushing forward, I'm excited to see what will happen in the next five. As am I, man. And I think everybody that's listening to this podcast is also probably excited to follow along in your journey and see uh, where you continue to grow to. One thing that I, I just wanted to pull out of that is really recognizing that you can be a bottleneck to your success. And, and it, with you, you started with that personal transformation, that personal growth, which led to the professional growth. And I think oftentimes people throw the personal stuff to the side and they say, I just want to grow professionally. And if you're not in a space mentally, emotionally, physically, you can't do that. And really you started by saying, how can I improve myself 
personally, and then all of the professional stuff just took off immediately. So anyone that's saying, Hey, you know, I can't worry about my health right now because I really, really want to make a million bucks, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. Like you're building a, a house on sticks, focus on the foundation, which is you, your mindset, your, your health and wellness. And then all of those other things will come once you have the right mindset, once you have the right priorities, it's such a profound lesson. And thank you for sharing that with us, man. I know we've, we've run quite long and, and it's hard not to with you because it's such an interesting conversation, but I wanted to just ask you one question as we close this out. And that question is for, for anyone that's maybe listening to this podcast right now and has enjoyed your story and is potentially sitting on the fence when it comes to starting their own venture and getting into the, getting into the game of startups and entrepreneurship, and they're sitting on the sideline right now, maybe facing some imposter syndrome. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. This isn't a great idea. There's too much competition. I don't know how to build a product. Any of those limiting beliefs that they may be sitting with right now, what would your message to those people be? It's a good question. I mean, I think First instinct is it circles back to knowing and, and understanding and taking time to develop who you are as a person. As we talked about, we both understand that we are risk takers and we're people that are willing to take that. But there's there's people that are not. And if that's not you, there's no shame in not being an entrepreneur. There's no shame in you know being an employer, being a, a VP or being a director or being head analyst or whatever it is. So I think that's a big piece. I think a lot of people chase after the entrepreneurship because they see all this Instagram nonsense of like jets and cars and like watts of $10,000 in ones. So I think understanding yourself, understanding what's valuable to you and understanding that it's not an easy path, whether you go on the investment side or on the entrepreneur side or whatever, it's not an easy path. If you're not willing to put in 60, 80, 120, like, you know, put in the hours, sacrifice, finding your priorities, finding out what, what you are, what do you want, you know, what success means to you. And like I said, there's a lot of people where working at a, a bigger bank or making six figures and having some friends and family around that that's all they want. Like I said, it's to each their own. So I guess just finding out what you want is the number one. Number two, don't spend money on things. I think that's something that is a giant misconception of I need to do this. So I'm just going to go spend money on the next thing. The amount of free information on YouTube, Twitter, the amount of times that I've connected with someone that I should have never had access to at all, just because I sent them a cold DM on Twitter being like, Hey, I see you're doing this. I'm doing that. Let's hop on a call. So I guess that'd be my advice is, you know, understand what you want out of life, understand who you are, what success means to you. And then also just trying to see, you know, from my idea base, like a lot of the best things that we've seen, whether they're companies that I've invested in personally, or ones that we've just seen are ones where you're solving an issue that would be an issue for you. And that kind of goes back into what I talked about of joining one of our portfolio companies, a company called Zen Ledger, which is a crypto tax platform. And if you've ever invested in crypto, you'll realize how hard it is to comply with existing tax codes. And it, there had to be an, an easier way to do that. And obviously for us investing, that was something that we're looking at is like, what's the, the total market size or who could use this product? But I, I think a lot of people can use that same thought process of trying to figure out what they're going to do. Same thing with you. You know, I'm researching mentors. I'm, I'm really interested in improving myself and, and sharing that knowledge and being around a community of people or a tribe of people. But that's like, that was like your thing. And then you just go for it and you jump at it. So I don't know. I think figuring out what you want to do, don't have any fear when you're going to do it and just trying to figure out something that actually has value. Like we don't need another t-shirt company. If that's your thing, go do it, but try to find something where people can actually value this. One thing that I've seen time and time again is like solving an issue that you've seen and then finding people that you know would solve it for. Like same thing with Zenlighter. Like once I knew that this company existed, I was like, I know that I'm having a terrible time trying to 
reconcile all my stuff across Excel spreadsheets and documents. This offer is great. And if like that existed, I would use it. And I have friends that would use that as well. You know, so like something like that, I guess tying that back in is not being an entrepreneur is totally okay. But if you're going to be one, I think you need to be aware of the risk, whether that's social or time or the commitment that it takes and the strain that it can cause your family and your friends and your own mental health um, is big. So just understand what you're getting into and uh, whichever route you go, just, you know, give it your all. Awesome, man. That's excellent advice. I really appreciate it. So I'll let you go here. And then last thing is just, you know, where can people stay in touch with you and, and follow along? We all want to see the next three years and we'll do the recap podcast a couple of years from now, but between now and then, what's the best way to keep up with you? I'm on Twitter pretty frequently, dhannum8, D-H-N-N-U-M-8. Um, email on the fun side, if you're an entrepreneur in the crypto space or want to be, and then you're looking at opportunities or just trying to look at a few different things, always happy to meet with you. That's just dh at hannamcapitalmanagement.com. And then on the crypto tax side, if, you know, if you've invested in crypto and um, are now seeing some of the IRS involvement around, around crypto assets and are trying to get your stuff together, our team's more than happy to help you out. But uh, yeah, I'd say Twitter is probably the easiest way. I'm always trying to share thoughts or articles that I'm reading or, or my opinions on markets and your crypto or whatever. So um, always available on Twitter and available on email as well. Awesome. And on mentor pass. So we'll, we'll get you going there as well. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Dan, thanks so much for the time, man. It's been a pleasure. I've learned so much and hopefully everyone else has as well. So thank you, man. And I'll talk to you in three years or maybe before. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and glad I was able to share a little bit about my story. And, you know, as you talked about earlier, if anyone's on the sidelines, especially around sobriety or having some struggles with alcohol or, or drug use, I'm always happy uh, to hop on a call or on a text or whatever. So I'm here to help if I can. Thanks, Dan. Take care, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Top Mentors Podcast with Dan Hannum. If you like what you heard, go to mentorpass.co and drop an application. When you join MentorPass, I'm going to spend an hour with you. We're going to talk about your mission. We're going to break that down into goals, and then we're going to break those goals down into plans. We say we're going to figure out the why, what, and how. And then once we have those three, then we're going to bring in the who. I'm going to match you with a team of incredible mentors that are going to help you execute on all of your goals. So if that sounds like something that you want, go to mentorpass.co and submit your application today.